Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. Happy Fat Tuesday. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Gabby Burke in for Sarah Tafoya, who's taking a few well-deserved days off. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's good to be with you here early this Tuesday morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, in case you missed us talking about this uh, yesterday on Monday, uh, just a, a huge uh, heartfelt thank you once again to our Relevant Radio family for another uh, simply amazing Give From the Heart winner pledge drive last week, perhaps uh, the best uh, winner pledge drive we've ever had here at Relevant Radio. Thanks again for all your incredible generosity. Uh, we reached our goal of $3 million in the final minutes uh, at about uh, 4.32 in the afternoon uh, during the Drew Mariani show last Friday. Uh, and of course, uh, a thank you uh, to Our Lady of Lourdes uh, and all the many prayers and uh, for her intercession. No doubt Our Lady was uh, there uh, with us throughout that whole pledge drive. Uh, if you missed uh, last week's pledge drive, for whatever reason, you can still uh, give from the heart and make a tax-deductible donation by calling 877-291-0123, or you can make a pledge online at RelevantRadio.com or uh, through the Relevant Radio app. I also want to remind you, which I'm sure many of you know, Lent starts tomorrow uh, with Ash Wednesday uh, falling this year on Valentine's Day. Uh, Catholic apologist William Albrecht uh, will join us in hour number two to talk about the biblical and the historical roots of Lent. Now, uh, today is also the 19th anniversary of the death of Sister Lucia of Fatima. She was the last surviving witness of the three children to whom the Virgin Mary appeared at Fatima, Portugal, in 1917. Uh, she died um, on this day back in 2005 at the age of 97. Sister Lucia died providentially on the 13th day of the month, which is uh, the day that she uh, always uh, had those uh, historic apparitions of our Blessed Mother. Want to bring in my partner first thing here this morning, Glenn. What are a few of the big stories making headlines on this uh, Tuesday? Oh, Northeast getting blasted with snow. Uh, much of the country's been without that, but not in the Northeast today. Expected a lot of snow. Schools being closed in the New York area. The mayor of New York advising drivers to stay off the roads. Schools there doing distance learning or at home learning. Uh, same story as you make your way up the coast as well. Some flooding in parts of Pennsylvania as well. And uh, so quite a mess on the roads. Uh, it's happening right now in the Northeast, John. Yeah, we're talking uh, about weather that could be affecting as many as 32 million people who are under this uh, winter storm warning, uh, especially along I-95 there on the east. And, uh, you know, for, for the kids in New York and Boston, it's a, it's a snow day for them. Well, somewhat, yeah. Now with so much uh, distance learning being able to be done, if kids aren't in school, they uh, uh, kind of get hooked up via Zoom or something and need to do a few things at home. But odds are they'll have a little more time to play in those snowbanks. Yeah, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, they, they know what to do. It's not like they've never been through, uh, you know, blizzard-like conditions uh, in, in the past. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we might get that idea sometimes from TV weather that the the end of the world is happening every time it's snowing. But uh, yeah, it will be difficult, though, if you're out traveling in in some of the major, major metro areas in the Northeast. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the House Speaker is uh, casting some doubts on the, the aid package uh, as, as senators uh, grind towards a final vote. What is the latest? I understand uh, that um, the, the Senate was in session most of the night. Yeah, a rare all-night session. A $95.3 billion aid package with the money earmarked for Ukraine and their battle with Russia, for Israel and Taiwan as well. But it uh, doesn't look likely in the House. Uh, they'll... They'll make a go at it, but uh, hard to hard to say at this point. Do they have the vote? Is the big question. Yeah, not necessarily yet. So uh, you know, it's uh, looking a little dim in the House. Uh, Republicans want to make sure that uh, the southern border is taken care of. Is that really the stumbling block in the House? Uh, the the fact that we're taking care of Ukraine instead of worrying about our own border. Well, they're trying to tie that together. I mean, there are several big separate issues there. I mean, for, for much of the, the Cold War, of course, uh, taking care of Russia was a, a big priority. And then uh, in the early 90s, of course, that dissipated as a concern, but it's come roaring back with the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine uh, and some saying we, we shouldn't give up the fight there, essentially. We've supplied uh, the vast majority of the armament that uh, Ukraine has used in that battle. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. All right, uh, we got the numbers in uh, from uh, Super Bowl 58, uh, which aired on uh, CBS uh, on Sunday. It became the most watched uh, program in television history, according to uh, CBS Sports. First that's what... at the three, lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes, four-man front, receiver motion, low snap. He runs and he throws, caught, touchdown, it's caught. Hardman caught the ball. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won. The entire bench empty. Glenn, the the numbers say that uh, uh, an audience of 123.4 million people um, on all of the platforms, including uh, CBS uh, Television Network, Paramount, uh, Nickelodeon, Univision, CBS Sports, and NFL Digital Properties, uh, saw this uh, big game, this uh, historic win uh, by the Chiefs in overtime. Well, in this day and age, when everybody watches everything on their own separate time and uh, not too much is watched live all at once, it's still the one event that kind of stops everybody in their tracks and everybody's doing that together. That used to be how all TV viewing, of course, was done for decades. Not the case anymore, but that's why the Super Bowl can still get some of those gigantic ad revenue numbers as well, because it's the one thing everybody's doing together. Yes, the 123.4 million numbers surpassed last year's previous record of 115.1 million viewers in last year's Super Bowl when the Chiefs won it on a game winner by Harrison Butker. Yeah, and so, you know, many think that actually the Monday after yesterday should have been a national holiday for those who really enjoy the game. <laughs> and they think, well, why can't we move it to this Saturday? But the TV ratings, uh, historically, Sunday night has always been the biggest uh, TV-watching night, and they don't want to move that. And so uh, those who, who plan on not being able to, to function after the game might want to plan and take a little time off ahead of time. Yeah.
That is so true. <laughs> I, I, uh, I caught some of uh, Drew in the afternoon actually talking about that. He said it actually crossed his mind, while, you know, because it was a late night, obviously, you know, and, and especially for, for folks on the East Coast, uh, it would have been even later because they're an hour ahead. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of no-shows yesterday. Yeah, 16 million or something like that uh, on average. But, uh, you know, we continue to to learn that having a good work ethic is important, John. But uh, uh, that mix of work and play certainly comes into play on Fat Tuesday, doesn't it? Yes, happy Fat Tuesday to you. Yeah, Mardi Gras today. Uh, and uh, you have any particular traditions for that in your household, John? Well, you know, I kind of have uh, taken on the, the tradition that my uh, wife, uh, who is of, of Polish descent, Cindy, uh, brought into the family. And so she uh, makes it a big deal about uh, cooking uh, uh, Punchkis, the traditional uh, Polish Fat Tuesday uh, desserts. And so she uh, is probably getting ready to head into the kitchen and start cooking those punchkis uh, this morning. All right. Very good. Now, now with an Hispanic background, did you have any particular Fat Tuesday traditions growing up at all? Not really. Not really. That that really wasn't part of our of our tradition. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'll take a few uh, bites out of the punchkis uh, uh, later on today. And, you know, ironically, because tomorrow is Valentine's Day and it falls on Ash Wednesday, which is, you know, pretty rare, uh, we are celebrating Valentine's Day this evening. Uh, Cindy's already got the steaks ready, and we're going to have a, a nice uh, at-home candlelight dinner. Excellent. Excellent. Sounds good. For sure. So uh, what about you guys? Well, uh, no particular plans here. Didn't grow up with that tradition of doing anything really for, for Fat Tuesday ever, and uh, I think we're going to do a little Valentine stuff uh, toward the weekend there. So, All right. That sounds uh, good. Either way, uh, for all of our listeners, uh, enjoy uh, Fat Tuesday uh, or Mardi Gras, whoever you want to call it. As as always, thanks, Glenn. Sure thing, John. First things first, we always pray uh, here on Morning Air to start the show, always giving thanks uh, to our blessed Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And of course, we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, where it is so needed. We also pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And on Tuesdays, I always just take a brief moment to remind you to uh, pray to your guardian angel. Do not forget about these uh, heavenly companions that are present with us. So ask your guardian angel for help in your everyday lives. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Imagine all of the saints, the heroes of our faith, crowded into a spiritual stadium, looking down from heaven on the faithful, running the race of our faith, cheering us on to that ultimate victory of heaven. The communion of saints in heaven are praying for us and interceding for us because we are one body in Christ. And at the end of the race, at the finish line stands our blessed Lord Jesus, waiting with open arms to reward us in paradise. So keep running the race of life with perseverance, with our eyes fixed on our leader, Christ Jesus the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence that a powerful prayer from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, Catholic evangelist and morning air contributor Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com, will be with us to talk about Lent, love, and crosses. So stay with us as uh, we're just uh, getting going here on this uh, Tuesday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. Why do you build me up, build me up And welcome back to Morning Air on this Fat Tuesday. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and uh, producer Gabby, who is actually in for Sarah this morning. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in on this uh, Tuesday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. You can find us on social media, as always. Our handle on X, formerly uh, Twitter, is at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And if you want to send us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, And now let's talk about love. Yes, Lent is almost here, less than 24 hours away, uh, beginning with Ash Wednesday uh, tomorrow, which is also Valentine's Day. Now, the end of Lent is recognized by the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ uh, suffered to the point of dying on the cross for all of us out of love. How can we also carry our crosses this Lent and love others uh, in doing so. Joining us live this morning is our resident lovologist and regular contributor Martha Fernandez-Sardina to talk about uh, the season of Lent and love and crosses. Martha is an international bilingual speaker, the former director for evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and San Antonio, and she's also the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. Good morning, Martha. Happy Fat Tuesday. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. 
Good morning. Great to be with you on this Mardi Gras. So uh, Glenn asked me if I had any uh, traditions and, you know, being of a uh, Colombian heritage, uh, you know, not any specific traditions on Fat Tuesday. My wife, of course, you know, being uh, of Polish descent, she likes to cook uh, punchkis on Fat Tuesday. What, what about you guys? Well, I was thinking to myself um, when, because I heard uh, him, uh, the two of you talking about that, and I thought maybe Latinos like myself, um, uh, being uh, half Spanish, half Dominican, although I'm American born, I don't think I have any customs much. But you all got me thinking. I thought, well, at least maybe I'll have some ice cream and root beer. Maybe I'll make one of those. What what are they called? Uh, floats, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, hey, you know, this is the day to to enjoy oneself uh, as we get ready for the big start of Lent tomorrow with with Ash Wednesday, which leads us right into what we're going to chat about here this morning. Martha, what are some basic questions that we can all ask of ourselves during this Lenten season? Well, we better start right if we want to finish right. So I would be asking myself, and I encourage others to do the same, what will Lent do for you? And what will you do for yourself? What will you do for the love of God? You know, will you finally and truly let Jesus Christ be your Valentine? Because that's what it's all about. It's about falling in love and staying in love with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the goal, a love that leads to conversion, that leads to repentance, to holiness, and of course, to eternal life. So that's the goal of Lent. Uh, Even if and when we suffer willingly by giving up things and taking up our crosses, um, that is what it's all about, love. And uh, so we should ask ourselves also, what will Lent look like for me? Meaning what spiritual disciplines will I take on? What things will I give up and take up? And what will uh, I look like during this Lent? Will I be more recollected, more prayerful, more uh, patient, more loving, more kind, more forgiving? Will I go to confession? Will I do the Stations of the Cross? In other words, what will I look like throughout this journey into the desert with Jesus? And what will I look like when I come out, come Easter? Hopefully, uh, that's the end game, is to have a renewed you uh, after you go into the desert with Jesus and you come out victorious like Jesus. So. Uh, Will you look deep within? I ask myself, and I'm encouraging our listeners, will you look deep within yourself this Lent to see what doesn't belong in your heart and soul so that you're transformed from the inside out? Will you go deep and deeper still with Jesus in prayer and in penance? Will you pick up your cross and follow him as he says? Will you look in the mirror and say, okay, what is not uh, in my life that ought to be in it? And what is in my life that ought not to be in my life, where you look yourself straight in the face and say, you need conversion, you need change, you need repentance, you need to go to confession, you need to pray more, you need to worship more. In other words, take a look at life and ask yourself, will I, at the end of Lent, look at life differently? Will I look at the church's teachings and her life and mission differently? Will I come on the other side on Easter? Will I come out different and be different and uh, embrace like I said, voluntary suffering uh, and uh, all the suffering that comes our way, even without our permission, which, by the way, John, yesterday on Monday, that beautiful reading from St. James, which shakes us up, uh, was the first reading at Mass, James 1, 1, and he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance be perfect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And that's part of the suffering we must endure in life. That is a very beautiful and powerful scripture. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Every single one of us is going to suffer in some way or another. We all have our own unique crosses uh, sent from heaven, tailor-made by the good Lord himself. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how uh, these uh, crosses uh, can actually be painful for some people when they have to deal with them? Yes, uh, crosses are painful. In fact, the reason why we call suffering and trials and tribulation crosses is precisely because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that was excruciatingly painful. And he died on the cross. So when we're talking about crosses, we're not talking small things, although sometimes they can be small or look small to others. And the more I talk to friends and listen to people and, and interact with people here and there and evangelizing and online and, and people who call in radio programs, whatever, I notice more and more that people are suffering uh, all over the place, all kinds of people uh, to different degrees and in one way or another. Uh, everyone is bearing a cross. Some people have some very heavy crosses, uh, some very undeserved crosses and unexpected, uh, you know, unexplained even. Sometimes suffering is so, it strikes families. For example, I, I know of a family in Texas, a friend of mine, uh, they've been dealing since their oldest child, who's now, I think she's about 22 or so, uh, since she was 10 with, uh, with a very, very rare form of pancreatitis. And now, her brother, who's a couple of years younger, they've discovered that he has a brain tumor. I mean, how much suffering can come to one family? And for some people, it's lifelong, uh, and it is most certainly life-changing. Uh, so so there, are, there are a lot of people who are suffering quite a bit, and uh, it's real painful. I, I was reminded this week because of the anniversary, first anniversary, of uh, a friend, uh, Jay, well, not, he's not a friend, but somebody I know in town, uh, Jason, he was killed. Uh, he had just turned 50, about a day after his 50th birthday, uh, a senseless, calculated death. Uh, it was a little brawl in a, in a bar where a karaoke, whatever. And uh, this fellow texted the killer, texted a friend saying, uh, someone's going down today. And he said, what, what are you talking about? He, he went, he said, Jason, and he went and killed him. I mean, and, and, and now this justice delayed because you know how the court system works. It's been a year and there's still not even a court date. They keep moving it. So John, there's real suffering in the world, and that should make each one of us uh, resize our own little sufferings. If you're not suffering greatly like some other people are, be grateful to the Lord and be an intercessor and be uh, a kind and listening person, uh, Simon Cyrene, who can help others carry their cross. You know, um, as you're talking about all these these crosses that uh, that people uh, carry, uh, I, I can't help but Remember uh, St. Francis de Sales, who used to talk about how uh, God, uh, the Lord, sends us unique crosses, uh, literally uh, tailor-made. Our crosses are unique to us. Everybody has a, a different type of cross. We all have crosses, but every one of us have our unique cross that we need to embrace and accept and uh, and really realize that that it is, is sent from the good Lord with love and and it's all part of his plan. Yes, and 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 it's not easy to understand. I mean, pain and suffering sometimes we will not understand uh, the, the all the reasons why the Lord allowed us to endure one thing or another uh, this side of heaven. But thanks be to God, life does not end with death. It's just transformed. And so one day we will understand the value of suffering. In fact, some saints say 
that when we do understand that in the presence of God, the one thing that we will regret is not having had suffered more. So to those of you who are out there and listening to John and I talking about this, if your suffering is great, know that the Lord notices it, that the Lord is using your suffering even with the redemptive value. And that, John, we know from, from uh, scripture, we know it from tradition, that the Lord, if we unite our crosses to his cross, it can take on redemptive suffering, uh, suffering, uh, redemptive value. And that's why I was inviting people, be intercessors. I'm thinking of uh, another friend who died. He had just turned 51. He had suddenly a cancer and within, I think, four or five months, died last September. Uh, and his widow, who's what, maybe 45 or something like that, she's suffering so much, the loss of, you know, she's in grief. And at the same time, she's trying to make the best of this cross. So she decided that Valentine's Day would be unbearable without him. So she went and, to, and did the Camino. She's right now, tomorrow, she is scheduled to arrive in Santiago de Compostela, she took the Camino that starts in Porto, in Portugal, and she went the, the coastal route. And every day she's walking, she says, with St. Helena, who was the great pilgrim, right? Uh, the first pilgrim. And uh, she is uh, now her patron saint because this young widow is now coming into the church this Easter, receiving all three sacraments of Christian initiation. And every day as she's walking, she's bearing her pain, she's living through her grief, and at the same time has become a source of inspiration by the joy that is mixed with her tears and how she's embracing her cross and looking forward to walking closer and closer to our Lord and with Our Lady as she receives the Easter sacraments. So there are many ways in which even amidst our grief and with our crosses, we can continue to walk and allow the Lord to remind us that we are not alone even when we have been left seemingly alone in life. Wow, what an amazing story. I wonder if she's doing the short version or the, the full 500 miles of the El Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. Yes, I don't think it's the 500. I, I, I want to say she left on the first or something like that, 15 days. I, I don't, I think maybe 150 doesn't sound right. Maybe that's it's much longer than that, but uh, I don't. I'm not sure it's the 500, it's but still it, a it's long, every day. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a long. Yeah. I know that and that's she's doing it by herself. Wow, completely by herself. Well, yeah. I, I'm I'm sure my my wife is listening. Uh, that's on her bucket list. It's something she wants to do. She before it's all said and done, she, she wants us to to do the uh, the El Camino uh, in Spain. So got to got to get in shape for that. <laughs> You do, you do. <laughs> for, for sure. All right, you know, could you describe, you know, some of, of, of the pain that you are witnessing uh, from, uh, you know, folks out there, you know, real people that are, that are having to deal uh, with their crosses? Well, take it, uh, this example of uh, this friend. Um, I, it's so raw and it's so real. You know, and it's so heartfelt and there's so many emotions. And I see that with other people, you know, there, there's gratitude, but there's sorrow, there's loneliness, but there's a sense of uh, being accompanied by the prayers and the love of others. Uh, some people endure their crosses openly and they, and they share it. And that's a source of uh, consolation for them. And now other people, I notice, endure their suffering quietly, silently. There are other people who endure their crosses in their, in their situations quite angrily. And in fact, I met somebody at uh, mass on Sunday uh, who, who was there, you know, seeking the Lord and trying to accompany a friend who had a stroke. 
uh, but he was also angry and it came out in a number of ways in the conversation. And uh, at one point I even just quieted down and I thought to myself, don't add another word, just pray, pray. And so people have, and he feels guilty uh, and he has other issues. And so there, there are so many emotions that people are experiencing. Some people endure their crosses very humbly, very joyfully. Uh, they surrender completely. Um, and, and so the thing is this, we're also different and our crosses are different. Our circumstances are different. So uh, be kind because as the saying goes, right, be kind. Uh, everyone's fighting a hard battle. I don't know if it was Socrates or Plato who said that, but uh, that is true. And you never know. Some people are open about their crosses and some are not, but we all have crosses to endure. So be kind to others, be loving, be patient and always be an intercessor on behalf of others. And Martha, in these final moments that we have, I think the key is keeping our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus on the crucifix. Uh, can you talk about what we can learn uh, from our, our Lord Jesus Christ and his cross? Well, yes. One, and before I say that, uh, I just want to say suffering is an equal opportunity offender and defender. And what I mean by that is is an equal opportunity offender, meaning uh, that uh, no one's exempt from it, Uh, not even the Immaculate Virgin Mary. She stood at the foot of the cross. But it's also an equal opportunity defender because the cross of Jesus Christ is the very place where he defended us before the Father. And so if we unite ourselves to the cross of Christ, if we learn to accept, to embrace the cross, to embrace suffering, and that's what we're going to be doing during this Lenten season. We're going to choose to unite ourselves to the cross of Christ. And what we can learn from Christ is precisely uh, to embrace whatever uh, price we must pay. He paid the price of our salvation. He paid uh, our uh, penalty. So we now also need to pay up. We need to also embrace our cross so as to be purified and to do so graciously and to do so gratefully that we can, in fact, live a little bit of purgatory and get purified here and now. And uh, he fell and we will fall. Just get right back up and make sure that this Lent is the best Lent ever. Final thought. Uh, If our Lord Jesus made it, we can too with his grace and his love. We can. He loves you. He wants to have you with him at the foot of the cross. He wants to bring you out on the other side and for, at Easter as a new creation. So embrace everything that Lent offers. Make sure that every Lenten practice that you can adopt, you adopt so that your heart is purified and you become holier this Easter than last and maybe holier next Easter than this. Martha, real quick, where can the folks uh, find you if they want to invite you uh, to their uh, parish or conference or their area? Uh, you can email me at info at rememberyouarelove.com. You can find me at rememberyouarelove.com. It'll take you over to my Facebook page and also a few other things at marthafernandezsardina.org. So uh, happy Lent and remember, you are loved. And so are you, and a happy Fat Tuesday to you. Thanks so much, uh, Martha. Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com. We need to take a short pause when Morning Air continues. Uh, Attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar will be with us to discuss this recent Supreme Court case involving former President uh, Trump trying to keep him off the ballot and his take on President Biden being just too old to run for his second term. So stay with us. Uh, We're going to talk a little politics uh, here uh, in the next segment. There is much more to come on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. 
You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul II, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. For information, go to relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. In the eye of the soul. Morning air on this Fat Tuesday. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. In case you missed us uh, talking about it yesterday, uh, uh, just a huge thank you to each and every one of you, our Relevant Radio family. Uh, it was another amazing uh, pledge drive uh, last week, our first pledge drive of the year. Uh, perhaps the best ever Give From the Heart winner pledge drive. Uh, and again, thank you for your uh, incredible generosity and unbelievable support. We did reach our goal of $3 million in the final minutes of the Drew Mariani Show last Friday, uh, thanks to Our Lady of Lourdes and her intercession. If you missed uh, last week's uh, pledge drive, for whatever reason, you can still give from the heart and make a tax-deductible uh, donation by giving us a call, 877-291-0123, or online at relevantradio.com, or you can make uh, your pledge through the Relevant Radio app. As always, uh, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program here this morning, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, uh, many things have been happening in the world of politics. Uh, while our focus here uh, on Relevant Radio last week was, of course, on the winter pledge drive. In fact, the Supreme Court uh, hearings on uh, Trump's ballot uh, case uh, took place this past Thursday. The high court appeared very worried of uh, the state of Colorado's effort to kick former President Trump off its primary ballot. And the justices questioned how a ruling in its favor would not lead to an, what they called an unmanageable situation for our nation. Here is part of the oral arguments with Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson worried about the 14th Amendment that doesn't apply to the president. The more broad point I want to make is that what is very clear from the history is, is that the framers were concerned about charismatic rebels who might rise through the ranks up to and including the presidency of the United States. But then why didn't they put the word president in the very enumerated list in Section 3? The thing that really is troubling to me is I totally understand your argument, but they were listing people that were barred, and president is not there. And so I guess that just makes me worry that maybe they weren't focusing on the president and, for example, the fact that electors of vice president and president are there suggests that really what they thought was if we're worried about the charismatic person, we're going to bar insurrectionist electors and therefore that person is never going to rise. 
And joining us live from Washington, D.C. is eternal attorney and a political analyst, Alfonso Aguilar. Uh, he is also the director of Hispanic Engagement at uh, uh, the uh, Americano Principles Project. And uh, he's going to share with us his take on uh, former President Trump being off the ballot, uh, as well as uh, all the talk about President Biden being too old to run for a second term. Alfonso Aguilar is a regular contributor here to Morning Air. He's also been a frequent guest on Fox News, MSNBC, Telemundo, Univision, CNN and Espanol, and uh, many other networks. Uh, good morning, Alfonso. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. Wanted to get your take right off the bat um, uh, on this uh, Supreme Court case that's being uh, uh, described as a landmark uh, case, uh, this uh, attempt uh, of uh, Colorado to kick uh, former President Trump off the primary ballot. Uh, uh, your, your thoughts and maybe just a little bit on what you just heard here uh, from the oral right, right. arguments. Well, I mean, first of all, it was fascinating to hear the oral arguments and the questions from the justices uh, uh, it was just really, really interesting. But but it seems pretty clear that the majority of the justices, if not all of them, uh, are going to reject uh, the decision from uh, Colorado uh, dropping Trump from the ballot. Um, I think the questions from uh, Judge Jackson are, are pretty uh, revealing, right? Uh, she's absolutely right. The Constitution, this specific clause, does not mention uh, the president of the United States. Uh, so, you know, uh, why does the, uh, Colorado court say that they can actually, uh, uh, exclude somebody from running for president if the clause doesn't mention that particular position? Uh, you know, the president hasn't been, uh, uh, convicted of uh, insurrection. Uh, everybody, uh, in the United States is, uh, uh, it's supposed to receive due process of law. So, um, you know, and another point that they made, which I think is very important, is that if, you know, if Colorado is allowed to do that, then, you know, any other state can start making similar decisions arbitrarily that somebody shouldn't be on the ballot. And, and that would create a very uh, uh, unstable situation. So it just is pretty clear that the majority of justices are going to rule against Colorado. Uh, question is, is it going to be nine to zero or eight to one? How surprised were you to see the uh, more liberal justices asking some really good questions, which leads everyone to think that it could be unanimous. It could be nine zipper or perhaps uh, eight to one. I wasn't that surprised. I mean, I think all the constitutional experts have said that the, the Colorado decision uh, is, is very bad. I remember that uh, the Colorado decision was um, uh, the ruling uh, was approved by a, a, a vote of four to three in the Colorado Supreme Court. So even within the Colorado Supreme Court, it was a very close uh, vote. Uh, so it's really a bad decision. So even the, the more liberal justices uh, can see the problems with with that decision. So I wasn't really surprised. Uh, the decision is just a very, very uh, bad one. And, and and again, I mean, for for, for many reasons, uh, but certainly, and I think they tend to tend to tended to focus more on the aspect of, you know, the precedent that this would create. That if Colorado is allowed to exclude a candidate from the presidential ballot arbitrarily, then other states could actually uh, do that uh, do that as well. 
and that obviously would create an untenable situation. Yeah, Alfonso, I, I got to see a little bit of the oral arguments and, uh, you know, to see uh, Justice Elena Kagan ask the question, uh, why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? And I, I thought that that was really, uh, you know, part of uh, right on point. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think the other point that, that Ketanji Jackson uh, made, I think, is very, is very important. I mean, this this clause uh, was included to ensure that officials uh, from the Confederacy did not reach the, uh, the uh, higher levels of, of the federal government. And it lists uh, the, the positions that they can run for, including uh, uh, for the U.S. House of Representatives, the Senate, uh, and it doesn't mention the president. It excluded the president. If, it w- if they wanted to include the president, why didn't they include uh, um, uh, uh, th- th- that specific office? So, yeah, I, I think the questions were very good were, uh, and I think were very revealing. So uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that they're going to overturn Colorado. It was interesting to see uh, Chief Justice uh, John Roberts uh, also ask uh, the question uh, about the consequences of um, Colorado's uh, position, how this could affect our entire nation. Right, right. As we've said, I mean, if if you have, uh, you know, states arbitrarily, uh, for whatever reason, excluding candidates from a ballot, uh, if Colorado does it, then uh, other states could imagine a, a Republican state, uh, you know, excluding President Biden of the ballot because they think that he doesn't have the mental capability to be president of the United States. <laughs> I mean, it could end up. Uh, uh, um, uh, in, we could end up in a situation like that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that's not the, the the appropriate way to proceed. The Constitution doesn't allow that. And, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Colorado uh, uh, really made a very big mistake in in that decision. But again, uh, it's going to be overturned. You think we'll find out uh, relatively uh, soon? We won't have to wait until June for this uh, decision from the high court. Um, I think we'll probably hear soon. I mean, they took the case pretty quickly. Uh, they, they, they need, they know that this is an important political question that they need to provide stability and clear guidance because there are other states considering the same. Remember Maine, the secretary of state also excluded Trump from the ballot. So they need to provide some clarity. So I think we can expect the decision, uh, soon. Uh, meanwhile, last week, a, a bipartisan border deal failed in the Senate and House Republicans. Republicans failed to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Um, Alfonso, can you give us your uh, take on the latest on this immigration crisis and the border situation? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, I, I, I just find it ironic that the president and the White House are saying that they need, that they can close the border or deal with the border crisis if they don't have new legislation. Uh, you know, that's a new argument. Uh, this crisis uh, started with President Biden. Uh, I, I, in fact, he probably created it by doing away with some common sense policies that the previous administration had put in place. Um, and uh, for him now to say that he needs new legislation is ridiculous. He has, under current law, he can 
actually deal with the situation and 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 put measures in place to achieve operational control of of the border. Uh, he doesn't need new legislation. Uh, uh, and if if this legislation was absolutely necessary, why didn't he uh, pass it uh, or push for it when Democrats control House and Senate? I mean, it's pretty obvious that this is a political. You know, it's funny because Biden says that Republicans are playing politics with the issue by opposing this bill. But it's actually Democrats who are pushing this bill to try to say that, you know, this is happening because the, the president doesn't have the, 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 the legal uh, mechanisms to deal with this deal with this situation. And, and the reality is that he does. But in any case, the, the, the this border deal was bad law. I mean, he would have continued to allow thousands of people to uh that arrive at our southern border to enter the country uh it would empowered uh an immigration official uh, a u.s citizenship and immigration official to grant asylum directly to uh, one of those applicants uh, without referring the case to an immigration judge as it is right now uh so basically you would have thousands of people coming in and perhaps even being allowed uh, to stay in uh, and given asylum even more quickly. Uh, so it, it, at, at the end, what we don't need is new legislation. What we need is the will of the administration to enforce the law. So even with this bill, uh, the situation uh, would have continued. And as I've said, it would still allow thousands of people to come in uh, and uh, come in the country. Uh, and, 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 and many of them be given asylum by just one uh, immigration official. And it would also mean yet more fentanyl pouring into our country, uh, more human trafficking and everything else that goes with it. You know, Catholic Im- immigration advocates are, are seeking humane and just solutions to this crisis on the border. What is uh, your perspective on, on, on a Catholic uh, view of this crisis? Well, you know, first of all, we have to say that, yes, absolutely. We all want uh, a system that is humane. We want to make sure that uh, our citizens are protected because we have to think of our citizens, right? And we also care, obviously, about the migrants. We we don't want them to be in a situation of danger. Now, in terms of the specific policies, that's up for each person to decide, right? Uh, because this is a prudential issue. I think that if we want a humane system, we really have to uh, deal with this border crisis because the border crisis is a humanitarian crisis. We have literally millions of people coming to our southern border, putting their lives in danger. Uh, Over 60 percent of women, uh, girls are uh, uh, victims of sexual assault. This massive movement of people facilitates child trafficking. Uh, This is not good for migrants. To, to to come to the U.S. in these massive waves that really create an environment of crime. So if we want a humanitarian system, we have to ensure that we, through the policies that we put in place, we send a clear message that it's not good to come to the border irregularly. It's not enough to say, don't come. You actually have to put the measures to dissuade people from making that very dangerous trip. Uh, and then, you know, we have the legal system. And legally, we're receiving records number, record numbers of people. I mean, every year we're granting to a million people the status of permanent resident. So we continue to be a welcoming nation. It's just that it's, it's, we should, our system was never built 
to receive so many people irregularly through our southern border. No doubt about that one. Uh, final moments. I'd uh, love to get your thoughts on uh, all uh, the discussions. It, it seems like every network now, including the liberal networks, are talking about uh, uh, President Joe Biden being too old. Uh, a recent polls showing that 81% of uh, adults say that uh, he's too old to run for a second term, uh, including 73% of Democrats. Uh, your thoughts? Well, you know, I think this report has allowed everyone from the left and right to basically state the obvious, that it's pretty clear that the president's not well. And, you know, he's, a, he's the president. Uh, it saddens me to, to have to talk this way, but he's put himself in this position. And the report was very clear uh, and, and that the special counsel thought that his mental capabilities are diminished. And he's not a doctor. But as a, as a prosecutor, he has to make an assessment of the, of the individual, the demeanor of the individual, uh, his capacity to, to, um, you know, to remember facts if, if, if he's thinking of prosecuting him. You know, basically, in that report, he said the president engaged in, in, in criminal behavior. But one of the reasons for not charging him is that he can remember things, that his mental capacities are limited. So, you know, he's the president of the United States. We have to know, uh, you know, what his condition is. And that's why the press is asking to talk to his doctor. I mean, we may have a president who, who, who may be seriously impaired. Absolutely. Well, we'll be uh, talking about this uh, in the upcoming days and weeks. As always, thanks so much, Alfonso. Really appreciate uh, your perspective. Thank you. Attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the director of Hispanic Engagement at American Principles Project. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Echoes of Kind Words by Steve Goodyear. A little boy said to his father, let's play darts. I'll throw the darts and you say, wonderful. Here's a boy who is not afraid to ask with the encouragement that he needs. Maybe we all have something to learn from him. Inspirational author and educator, Dr. Brian Cavanaugh, relates a story about the devastating effects of discouragements. Dante Gabriel Rossetti, the famous 19th century poet and artist, was once approached by an elderly man who asked him to look at a few of his sketches and drawings. The gentleman wanted to know if the artist thought they were of any value. As gently as possible, Rossetti told the man the sketches were of no value and showed little talent. He apologized for the harsh assessment, but said he believed that he should be honest. The visitor was disappointed, but asked the artist if he could take a look at just a few more, which were all done by a young art student. Rossetti looked over the second batch of sketches and immediately became enthusiastic over the talent they revealed. These, he said, these, these are good. He went on to say the young student shows much promise and should be given every help and encouragement. He may have a great future if he'll study and work hard. The old man was deeply moved. Rossetti asked... Who is this fine young artist, your son? No, replied the visitor sadly. It is I, 40 years ago. If only I had heard your praise then. For you see, I became discouraged and gave up too soon. St. Mother Teresa wisely said, Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Sometimes it may be enough to just say, Wonderful. First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. 
As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, our resident Catholic apologist, William Albrecht, will uh, join us to talk about the biblical and historical roots of Lent. Plus, uh, Father John Gordon, the Secretary for Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, will be uh, with us uh, to talk about Ash Wednesday, fasting and absence, as well as how we can make sacrifices for our loved ones on Valentine's Day. So stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of this Fat Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.